Hey everybody, I'm David Goldstein. And I'm Brian Brinkman. You are listening to the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast which Brian and myself use the music of Fist to introduce the listener to other non-jam bands that we think that you might like using Fish as a Trojan horse of sorts. Because we love Fish, we are Fish fans. The problem with Fish fans is that you all listen to too much Fish. We think that's a shame. So we're going to do something about it. Absolutely. It's the end goal here. And this is our uh, eighth episode. We're focusing today's episode on the 1029-2013 Down with Z's from Reading, Pennsylvania. Uh, really fantastic Down with Z's. Fantastic tour and uh, from one of the great shows of 2013. Um, basically, we're going to, uh, if you guys listened to us last week, you know that we kind of changed the structure up a little bit for our uh, uh episode on the Jones Beats Bowie from 1995. We're going to kind of return to what we have done in our first few episodes um, with just a slight twist. Uh, we look at this jam as uh, one that makes us so happy that you would want to run through a wall. It is so happy. So all six songs that we focus on are that type of blissful happiness that we just literally want to run through a wall uh, uh, on. And the themes that we are going to explore in this episode include summertime, good old reliable fish, and as Brian hinted at, songs that make you want to run through a wall. And who doesn't want to run through a wall? Seriously. It's <laughs> what the Kool-Aid man's been doing for years. And on that note, let's get to the fish. So the 10-29-2013 Down With Disease, um, why are we picking this jam? Well, why not, to be totally honest? Uh, as we were saying at the top of the show, this is just one of the happiest, one of the most enjoyable uh, and euphoric fish jams that the band has ever played. Um, I would say that this is one of the most fun fish jams ever played, and um, like we were saying earlier, it's probably somewhere at the top of uh, uh, fish jams or 3.0. What would you say, Dave? Yeah, I mean, I remember the first time I listened to this jam, I was walking down East 18th Street in Gramercy Park in Manhattan, and I could feel myself being lifted two inches off the ground. I had to stop. We think this is probably a top five jam of Fish 3.0. Some of the others we include, they're so iconic, we don't even have to give dates. We've listed the Tahoe Tweezer, the Las Vegas Golden Age, the Bill Graham Cross-Eyed Light Sally, and although people say that's not one jam, that's a few jams. As far as I'm concerned, that's probably some of the best 45 minutes of my life I've ever heard. So I'm going to call it one jam. What else we got? We got the Dicks Undermine, um, probably my personal favorite jam of 3.0. Uh, one of my favorite jams I've ever witnessed live. Uh, the following night's Dicks Light, uh, the Atlanta KDF, uh, the Man Twist, and the Magnaball Gin, as well as the Tweezer into Prince Caspian. And uh, as David noted about the Bill Graham Cross-Eyed Light Sally, yes, it's Tweezer into Prince Caspian. There is no return to Tweezer in that jam. Please, no. people, please just let Prince Caspian have its day. When you say man twist out loud, it kind of sounds like some awful hairstyle that fish fans would be expected to wear. <laughs> That's uh, There's no bun with that. No, man with two ends. <laughs> and uh, yeah, definitely Tweezer Caspian. No one back in. Definitely don't go back in the Tweezer. And Cross-Eyed Light Sally, say it five times fast. That's as good as it gets for me. Yeah, I think there's probably some other ones that we could throw out there, but those really are the cream of the crop of 3.0 in terms of creativity, in terms of full band connection, and really something that you get with this um, with this Down With Disease. You know, you've got that first you know, 
10, 15 minutes of the jam that's very, very groove heavy. Um, but there's a point where Trey takes over towards the end of this jam that leads to five minutes of um, some of the most intentional guitar playing I feel like I've heard from him in the era. Uh, it really harkens back to like 1995, uh, 1999, even in some cases from the melodic standpoint. Just unbelievable stuff. Yeah, basically, the part that we're focusing on, the part that you'd probably expect to hear, is highly reminiscent of the middle of the Allman Brothers' Jessica, to the point where it's almost a tribute, and because this was the last show they played before the 2013 Halloween run, this portion of the jam convinced most of the fan base that Fish is going to cover Eat a Peach on Halloween. Now, uh, we know that's not true. People were getting their wingsuits on instead of Halloween, but let's see. In terms of extremely happy fish jams that uh, this seems to harken back to, some of the ones that originally came to our mind was the Mike song, Mike's in the Week of Pog from December 1st, 1995. The Great Went Gin, which, although now it seems kind of quaint, at the time was extremely happy, sunny C major. I was there. I can tell you that it was brilliant. And we've got the July 20th, 1998 bathtub gin. That was the opener at Ventura, which was the dry run for the Epic Riverport gin. What else we got here? Uh, jumping into 3.0, uh, the Jones Beach number line from uh, August 17th, 2010. I mentioned this briefly in the last episode, but really, really cool jam that uh, stays close in some ways to the number line theme and just uh, peaks in a really euphoric way. Uh, the Holy Ghost, another 3.0 jam we probably don't need to give the date for. Uh, just an unbelievable peaking soaring jam from Trey. Uh, the Chicago Wedge from uh, July 20th, 2014. Paradise City Wedge. Paradise City Wedge and the uh, aforementioned Vegas Golden Age. Um, just really clear examples of the band being uh, utilizing blissful melodic major keys and riding them to soaring peaks that everybody in the crowd loves. Um, I know that either when you're at the show hearing this or hearing it uh, on a couch tour stream or on the live fish uh, uh, app the following day, uh, it really is the type of jam that, that gets the internet talking. Now, just a brief discussion of the happiest fish shows we've seen. Brian, what do you got? So I have to go with a recent one. Um, I would go with... Uh, August 15th, 2015, from Meriwether Post Pavilion. Um, that was, my wife and I like to say that was our son's first fish show. Uh, my wife was, I think, 30 weeks pregnant at that point in time, and um, one of the wackiest set lists I've ever, I've ever witnessed. You kind of knew when they opened up with Simple and Glide, and there was a Buried Alive early on in there, and I'm a Grup. Uh, really, really just fantastic first set. Um, actually enjoyed that first set. It was the only time I've ever hung out with our friend Jonathan uh, over at Broke Down Pod. Uh, great rogue, uh, great antelope to close it out, and then a second set with a absolutely beautiful and blissful 46 days. Uh, steam into what's the use into steam. Uh, a piper that was so good that my wife and I left the show saying... Whatever we have, son or daughter, Piper's going to be a part of their name, and now we have Wallace Piper Brinkman. Um, and then what else? There was a, there was a tweezer and an into N2O at that show. I mean, it was just uh, across the board, one of the wackiest, one of the best shows I've ever seen. So much fun. I left with a smile that I couldn't peel off my face. Yeah, I will concur. That was also at that show. And also saw Jonathan from Broke Down Pod in the parking lot for the very first time. And, yeah, that was that was an incredibly fun show. When they went from the Piper into the Tweezer, I was practically sideways. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, that was a great show. The encore banter was even great. It was like Fish. They knew they played a really fun show. Oh, yeah. And the, uh, Paige, Paige always demanding Sleeping Monkey. And- that's right. Uh, Mike yeah. says it's it's Paige, it's just not your night, man. <laughs> and we gorged on Korean barbecue after that show. But uh, the one I have in terms of happy fish shows, I mean, most of the fish shows are all 
happy in some sense of the word. You don't go to be, right. you don't go to fish to be a sad sack. But the one that immediately came to mind for me was November 27th, 1998, from the Worcester Centrum. That was night one of the three-night turkey tour run that they often did at Worcester. I think it's it was the first round of live fish releases. I forget exactly what number. But that second set, that was Choctaw's Torture Wipeout Fest. And then... That's about the best thing I can offer, and that is they play chalk dust, and they play wipeout, and went back in the chalk dust. Mike Gordon during chalk dust started teasing the baseline of the English beats on Mirror in the Bathroom and told my friends, shit, Mirror in the Bathroom, it's Mirror in the Bathroom. And then Trey picked up on it and played Mirror in the Bathroom, and I started jumping up and down, and they had a great Mike song, a huge week of pog, wipeout tease. It's just a very fun theme set that I just recall as being very surprising and just a blast, but I'm sure most of you have heard that, so you don't need to tell me. I don't have to tell you that, but it was uh, <laughs> extremely fun. I'll never forget the first time I heard this, because, you know, there's some great, great shows in that first batch of Live Fish series. We got the Fukuoka. Binghamton. Binghamton, um, the, uh, the Sugarbush show, even the Darien 2000 show has some really crazy jamming in, the, in it, but... You know, this second set had that perfect mix of 97, 98 style jamming in like Weekapog and in Mike's, um, and then, you know, throwback to Zany 94 Fish. I remember listening to it in uh, my bedroom in my parents' house and just being like, I love this band so much. Like every show I hear just gets better and better and better, just smiling like crazy. It was awesome. So, you know, getting back to this uh, Reading show, 10-29-2013, um, we were talking about this beforehand. This this really feels like a throwback to a snooze-you-lose type of show, um, which is a rarity in 3.0. We, we had a lengthy conversation about this before going to, rec- uh, going to record and um, could only really come up with three snooze-you-lose shows. And really the concept behind this is something that Fish used to do in 1.0 especially. They'd be touring so much and they'd end up playing some random venue on a Tuesday or Wednesday night in West Virginia and they'd play Game Henge in set one and Hoist in set two. Or they'd show up in Salt Lake City two nights after playing Vegas and a couple nights before playing Denver. Nobody would be there and they'd play Dark Side of the Moon. A lot of these shows happen throughout 1.0 and they don't happen as much throughout 3.0 but we think we've come up with a couple. If you guys disagree, if you think you have any more, please add us. This is uh, we love getting to these uh, conversations about fish. But David, what are what are some of the thoughts that you have about the snooze or lose shows that we talked about? Um, certainly, one we had was October 26, twenty ten. That was a random Tuesday night up in New Hampshire. They had just done the weekend run at the Mullen Center. They were gearing up for Halloween, but I guess kind of is throwing a bone to some of. Um, the further up northeast fan base they played that show on a Tuesday in Manchester where they had a crazy second set with um, a really imaginative uh, like Makasupa, that's where they played Night Nurse and tribute to Greg and tribute to Gregory Isaacs who just died uh, they did some After Midnight like a lot of very random set list type things in that show yeah. so I think that probably qualifies um, we had August 28th 2012 Random Tuesday night in St. Louis, which probably one of, if not the best, limb by limb of 3.0. Yeah, and you've got a start to a second set there. That's there's a early chalk dust jam. You know, they they somewhat expanded chalk dust in Atlanta three nights earlier, and then jammed it out to start the second set. Only like nine or ten minutes, but definitely got far enough out of the theme, which would. You know, was really a precursor uh, for all intents and purposes for the just masterful uh, fuck your face version from 831. But really, I mean, in terms of significance of this Reading show, in addition to being the snooze you lose, it's simply it's one of the best shows of 2013. And that's yeah. saying quite a bit because yeah. if 2012 was evidence that fish came to play, then 2013 is that play full on. Yeah. We'll say. Yeah, going through 2013, um, 
just a couple shows that come to mind. 7-5-13 from SPAC, the first night of that three-night run. Uh, 7-14-13 from Meriwether Post Pavilion. Really good compact set with some great jamming in it. Uh, 8-2-13 from uh, Bill Graham, your first night following the Tahoe Tweezer. There's a really excellent second set there. and Lots of Very. unique set list uh, uh, choices. Very speedy second set, like amphetamine second set. Probably the best, fastest, most interesting stealing time for the faulty plan they've played. Yeah. Which, well, not exactly going type two. It's got vocal loops and very fast and angry, and they should play it more like that. Definitely. What else do we have from 2013 that you really liked? Um, October 20th, 2013, Night 3 of Hampton. Gigantic tweezer, taking care of business. That's, uh, Fantastic show. Great golden age. Definitely the golden age. Both nights of Worcester, October 25th and October 26th. Plenty of goodies in there. Um, I know you love November 1st, 2013 from Atlantic City, right? I do. Um, I loved how, you know, they there was so much pent-up energy and probably stress going into the Wingsuit show. And uh, November 1st has always just felt like a band. Uh, just kind of lighting a doobie and uh, just having a, a, a fun, stress-free show with with all their friends in attendance. The Cavern opener is great. Jesus Just Left Chicago. Talk about the new album recording. The Twist is one of my favorite jams of 3.0 without question. And um, following that up with uh, December 29th, 2013, which is my personal favorite show of 2013. I think it's um, the best example of their playing at that uh, during that year. The down disease in that show is one of my favorite things the band's ever played. Uh, to me, it sounds like a really classic 1970s uh, live album that um, could really stand on its own for for Fish 3.0 uh, if if they recorded that and did something with it, or if they kind of released that show in a, in a special way. That was the night of that run that I skipped. Oh well, <laughs> life happens. Yeah, but um, in addition to the Down with Disease in this show. I mean, also it has easily the best version of 20 Years Later played. Yeah. It gets incredibly funky, almost like a 555 dank funk, and then it sort of ends with the riff on, um, on I Know You Rider, yeah, kind of like a jam at the end. And then they had a Reba encore, which is Super. pretty rare. Yeah. 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 There was one other in 3.0, uh, Augusta 10, 19, 2010. Right, it's an excellent version. Really, really great version. Yes, goes, goes pretty far from uh, from from Reba. Uh, I think that there were only two others. Uh, sometime in '99 and another time in like 1990. Very, very rare for it to be in the encore slot, but a really cool setting for it. I'd love to catch one live. And at this stage in the game, you need some joy in your life. You need to run through some walls. We're going to play you the segment of the Down Disease.
All right, hope you enjoyed that extremely upbeat version of Down with Disease from Reading, Pennsylvania. So now what Brian and I are going to do, we each picked out three songs that, while sounding nothing like the Down with Disease, kind of capture what it means for us in the sense it's unbridled joy. It's just like an instant, instant serotonin shot that we can use to power us through our day. So the first one I picked out is from one of my favorite bands called Husker Du. Now, Husker Du, they were a trio of guitarist, vocalist Bob Mould, bassist Greg Norton, and drummer, lead vocalist Grant Hart. Now, they were an 80s band based out of St. Paul, Minneapolis. I think they met when um, Bob Mould was a student at McAllister College. And I guess they're often, they kind of started out as more hardcore punk band. They gradually got more melodic as they went on, and they're considered to be one of the progenitors of the post-punk movement. Also lumped in with bands such as Mission to Burma, one that definitely comes to mind. Uh, there's Wipers, based out of Portland, Oregon. So Husker Du, they kind of specialize in a very fast, very upbeat, melodic form of punk rock that had... Um, you know, Bob Mould, he played a flying V guitar. It was shards of noise, kind of like shards of melodic noise in his singing. And with each successive album, they kind of got poppier as they went on. And the song we're talking about here is called Celebrated Summer off of their New Day Rising album. Now, this song, it's it's in a major key. It's just loud. It's upbeat. It's happy. It's Bob Mould shouting, and he knows it's good because in his solo sets that he has with his band nowadays, he still plays this song. Um, after Husker Du broke up, and I want to say 1987, Bob Mould went on to have a pretty successful career with uh, first with the band Sugar. Well, actually, no. First he did solo work, then he had the band Sugar, then he went back to doing some solo work. Uh, he dabbled in some electronic stuff as well. But really, his stock and trade has always been very full-bodied, very melodic punk rock. And he still plays the song in his sets, so he knows it's good. And if you like this, I would highly recommend checking out all of Husker Du's records. I would recommend checking out Sugar, his 90s band, which was sort of more on the alternative rock tip. And most of his solo records you can't go wrong with either. He's easily one of my heroes. So let's listen to Celebrated Summer by Husker Du. you enjoyed that song there from Husker Du. Uh, really loved uh, loved being turned on to them, David. Thank you so much. That song is just absolutely perfect on a hot June afternoon down here in Maryland. Anything I can do to spread the gospel of Bod Mould, I will do it. <laughs> Seriously, folks, if you get anything on this podcast, listen to Bob Mould more. Um, 
transition into our next song here. Uh, it's one of my favorite lead tracks off of one of my favorite records of this decade. Uh, song Honey Bunny by Girls off of their 2011 record Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Um, there, I remember the first time I heard this song. Uh, there's really not there's not enough I can say about how much I love this song. I was coming off of a very long shift at the restaurant that I used to work at, and a good friend of mine, a wonderful chef now, uh, Brian Weaver, said, have you heard the new Girls record? I said, no, but I loved album. And uh, he said, you have to get it. And uh, had me download it. I don't know why. We had our computers there. This is pre-streaming uh, era. And um, I threw it on on my bike ride home. And um, was just like smile ear to ear, riding like you know, 25, 30 miles over bridges uh, through Portland, Oregon, and uh, just absolutely exactly what I needed to come off of a long shift of work. Um, girls, sadly, uh, are no longer together. They uh, they formed in San Francisco in 2007. Um, basically, Christopher Owens, uh, their lead singer songwriter, is the centerpiece of the band. Uh, Chet White, uh, J.R. White, uh, was a part of the band for the majority of the career, but part of the reason their demise was they went through 21 different band members uh, throughout their uh, short-lived career from 2007 to 2012, and it just became too much to, to work with. But in their short time, um, this band that really takes a lot of music from the 50s, 60s, 70s, you're thinking lo-fi, surf rock, uh, just classic rock and roll, psychedelic rock, uh, pop rock, country, garage rock. They kind of blend it all into this meld that really works um, perfectly well with where indie rock is positioned in um, the mid-2000s and early 2010s. Um, Owens himself, interestingly, was born into the fundamentalist cult called Children of God. Um, but he left the cult at the age of 16 and uh, ended up you know, finding himself through exploring technology, hardcore punk, nihilism, um, to really cope with his uh, adjustment to mainstream society. Uh, moved to San Francisco, uh, formed the band, um, and uh, started recording uh, the self-titled, de- or excuse me, their uh, debut record uh, album, which came out in 2009. Um, they also had an EP called, uh, I believe, Broken Dreams Club. Is that correct? Yeah, that's uh, absolutely correct. Yeah, it came out in 2010, and then Father, Son, Holy Ghost came out in 2011. These records are complete albums. Uh, listen to them start to finish. Really uh, incredible songwriting from a lyrical standpoint. Really passionate and uh, um Articulate take, uh, like like really d- detailed take on um, simple melodies and simple strong song structures that just have you listening and hearing layers and layers in everything that they play, especially on their last record. So um, definitely excited for you guys to hear Honey Bunny here um, off of Father Son Holy Ghost.
All right, Brian, thank you for that. It's a very good song, a fantastic record. So one I'm going to talk about here is a band called The Hotelier, and the album is called Goodness. The song is called Goodness Part Two. Now, The Hotelier, they are a trio based out of Worcester, Massachusetts. They get tagged as emo revival. Now, basically, I guess emo can be considered as kind of a form of punk rock that wears its heart on its sleeve as opposed to punk, which is often the start of angry and sticking it to the man. Emo can be fast and loud, but it can get a bit emotional. Songs about heartbreak, songs about longing, often very melodic vocals. And in this case, this band, The Hotelier, who consists of Christian Holden on uh, bass and vocals, and does lead vocals, Chris Hoffman on guitar, and Sam Frederick on drums. They certainly, um, Christian Holden, he has a very melodic and very cathartic singing style. Sometimes he gets a little overdramatic, which is evidenced by song titles on this record, like, uh, like Opening Mail for My Grandmother. And it also features some like lo-fi interludes and some poetry that made this sound like field recordings that, while I certainly honored the dude's vision, I just end up skipping it because it means I can get the songs like this. Uh, this song, it sounds like getting up in the morning to a sunny day, rife with possibility. Uh, it very much exists on the happy-sad spectrum that a lot of emo bands tend to skim on. But, I mean, this one, it gives you a really strong tom pattern, the vocals are isolated, they come in slowly, and then finally when his vocals and the other guys in the band with the melody hits, it's just a beautiful thing. Uh, this song and the song immediately after it uh, called Player Piano are both really good serotonin shots. This is also one of the best sounding albums that came out in 2016. It's just really well produced. I mean, people call them emo revival. I just think of them as a really good American rock band and would recommend this song and this album very highly. So this is the portion of the show where we take a break, stretch our legs, take a step back, and uh, consider some of the great new albums that have come out in recent weeks, and in some cases, recent months. Um, we both have picked out a couple records that we've been listening to here recently. Um, 
My record is uh, the new album from Mark McGuire. Uh, not the tarnished baseball legend. Uh, this is Mark McGuire with a <laughs> U from Cleveland, Ohio, who is an ambient soundscape guitarist. Uh, McGuire is now uh, now lives in L.A. Um, and uh, records solo records um, that. Uh, see him really building layers and layers and layers of melodic loops that spin and spin and spin and shift in really slow ways um, and just allow you to do what great ambient music does and that's to not focus on the music and then drift back into the music and then drift away and meanwhile just kind of move through whatever it is you're doing at a very methodical pace it's part of the reason I love ambient music so much Um, Mark McGuire was a former member of the trio Emeralds that was a very uh, uh, heavily drone based trio that was really famous for the fact that all the guys were on (coughs) All the guys were under 25 years old, recording really mind-altering uh, music. They had a record in 2010 called Does It Look Like I'm Here that was probably the peak of their career, um, and they broke up in early 2013. Uh, same year as Does It Look Like I'm Here came out, um, Mark McGuire uh, put out a record that was uh, probably my favorite record of his uh, called Living With Yourself. Really nice collection of acoustic takes on his uh, spiraling loops. Um, and this record uh, that we're talking about right now, Ideas of Beginnings from 2017, uh, is kind of a hearkening back to uh, live with living with yourself. Uh, there's some electronic uh, aspects to it, but really there's a, a good mix of... Um, acoustic guitars, it feels like something that you could listen to in a really natural environment, and uh, has just been a really calming, really pleasing record for me in uh, the last couple weeks, something I've needed greatly, so uh, Mark McGuire's Ideas of Beginnings, uh, definitely recommend checking this out for a uh, mid-2017 great new release. Uh, David, what do you have? I've been spending the past few days listening to the new record by Jason Isbell in the 400 unit called... The Nashville Sound, an incredible singer-songwriter, one of the leading lights of, um, I guess you could call it like, um, call it Americana music. I guess he sort of put out some records with the 400 unit that were good, but he really reestablished himself with Southeastern in 2013, followed it up in 2015 with something more than free. And now his latest album, which just came out this past Friday, it's, uh, it's kind of like a little more rocking in times than his last few records, some more heavy guitar, but it also has some very plaintive acoustic numbers, um, it has one number that actually gets it's quite political, called White Man's World. But also, I mean, Jason Isbell is not like you and me, unlike you and me, Brian, in that he's a dad in his mid-30s with a two-year-old. And some of the songs kind of directly deal with the travails of being a dad with young children in this day and age. And, um, you know, I can kind of relate to that. And some of these songs definitely tug at the heartstrings. But, I mean, the guy, he's got an incredible voice. He's a great storyteller. His backing band is fantastic. And his wife, Amanda Shires, is part of his band. She plays a great fiddle. You know, it's kind of, he's one of those artists where the goodness you can almost just take for granted at this point. But if you like what he's done in the past, the new record won't do anything to change your mind. And I would say that this record would fit... uh perfectly on the shelf of uh, the dad rock historiography that we did in episode five. Oh yeah. This would be a great cap to that. Very dad rock. Um, in the, in the greatest way, you're absolutely right. There are a lot of songs on this record that I listened to and, uh, 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 definitely texted my wife and said, if you want to cry, you should listen to this, these songs. If you don't want to, I would hold off until we're at home. (laughs) <laughs> you will get a good cry on the last song in that album. My goodness. Without question. Without question. Yeah. Great, great record. I'm looking forward to seeing him in a couple weeks. Seeing him Friday. Nice, nice. That'll be awesome. Very excited. 
All right, transitioning here, what we would normally do is uh, go into a different segment of music to focus on a different aspect of the jam at uh, the center of the show. But as we said at the top, we are doing unbridled joy, just pure happiness songs. These are uh, songs that just make us want to run through a wall. So kicking off this section is uh, one of my favorite songs off of yet another one of my favorite records of the last 10 years. Um, This is Deer Hunter's Revival off of 2010's just excellent uh, Halcyon Digest. I I would have to say if I had was making a list right now of my f- top 10 records of 2000 of the 2010s. This is definitely in the top 5 for me. Um, I don't know if I've ever put this record on and decided to skip a track. I don't know if I've ever grown bored during this record or ever looked to see how many songs were left. I can listen to this start to finish all the way through uh pretty much at any time i love this record so much i know that you're a big fan as well david yeah this is the best record by far it's one of the best records of of 2010 and i still listen to on a pretty frequent basis yeah i just got it on vinyl and it just uh like like so many records when you throw it on uh the record player just adds another dimension has a really warm sound it mixes their kind of electronic and ambient soundscapes of their early albums with um the kind of more folks, uh, folk leanings of Bradford Cox, um, while also, you know, uh, having a bit of that punkish edge that you would hear uh, just completely over the top in 2013's Mono Monomania, um, and it kind of sounds like a precursor to Fading Frontier from 2015, but um, a little bit more experimental, definitely a little bit deeper, and this song, Revival... Better. Uh, way, way better. I, I, would, I would agree, but... Um, uh, you know, definitely has has that has a similar feel to that record. Um, that one's a little bit more nostalgic than this one is. He, um, albeit the name uh, harkens back to nostalgia. But um, this song, Revival, I believe it's the third track on the record, and it's got just a real shuffling feel. It almost sounds like a boogie. Uh, it, the, the start of it, I can't ever help but think of um, uh, Hungry Heart by uh, Bruce Springsteen. Just the way it uh, enters and just is immediately like in your bloodstream and immediately just makes you want to dance. Um, and, uh, I love how it's got a very dark edge to it. Uh, lyrically, most of this record does, but it really mixes this very, um, dark and ominous view of, uh, Bradford Cox's past, um, with some jangly guitars that just, uh, just you can't help but smile. Um, so let's go ahead and uh, let's listen to Revival right now. Deer Hunter with Revival off the Halcyon Digest album. And just for me, Deer Hunter's a great band, albeit a bit of a frustrating band. Is that uh that 2010 album, Halcyon Digest, was fantastic. And then 
They went and followed it up with Monomania in 2013, which was much more lo-fi. And then Bradford Cox started doing like the Ryan Adams habit of like throwing tantrums on stage. And it kind of, it almost seems like they purposely shied away from getting bigger fan base. Like, it seems to me like Deer Hunter is a kind of a quality band that could have had like a fan base the size of, say, like the National or Grizzly Bear playing like, you know, really big tents at festivals and larger theaters. And they just kind of said, Eh. But anyway, the song that I'm going to do here for the, the Unbridled Joy section is by a band or not so much a band or an individual called Tune Yards. And Tune Yards is the project of a woman named Meryl Garbus. And she's kind of, I know, I don't know, she plays all the instruments in the studio. I know um, her bass player on stage, Nate Brenner, also kind of helps out a bit and writes some of the songs. But the song we're going to talk about is Business, B-I-Z-N-E-S-S, which was the first single off of her second album called Who Kill. And this is one of those songs, the first time I heard it, I said, what was that? I mean, this had multiple vocal hooks, instantly memorable chorus, kind of what sounded like steel drums, there were saxophone riffs, but everything was really well arranged. It's arranged in perfection, and one of her skills is that she's a very deft arranger in the studio, knows exactly exactly what she's doing. Um, with this song, you get some like talking heads, there's some post-punk beats, you get like some New York no-wave saxophone scronk. I mean, you're just really checking off all the boxes of things that are just considered to be good. And if you've seen her live, like the live show, what she does is that she like surrounds herself with these stand-up drums and she loops her voice and she loops the drums in addition to having a bass and a horn section. Everyone's in costume. So it's almost it's like a Broadway production meets Pee-Wee's Playhouse meets like Remaining Light era talking heads. And the live show is fantastic. Her studio records are fantastic. And this is it's impossible if you don't hear this song and don't want to jump up and down and throw yourself on like a trampoline, then you're dead inside. So business by tune yards, Meryl garbage rules. One of my favorite people. Let's listen to it. We're going to go with uh, a group from Scotland, um, uh, post-rock lifers called Mogwai. Uh, Mogwai have been around since 1995. They've put out what uh, feels like a dozen records in that time, uh, always consistent. Every couple of years they're putting out a record. And we're going to um, choose a song off of their 2008 record called The Hawk is Howling. The song really uh, that we're gonna the, the, the song title uh, really defines the feeling of this overall episode. It's called "The Sun Smells Too Loud," and uh, really doesn't matter that it makes no sense. Really doesn't matter that uh, you can't really wrap your head around the meaning of it. 
um, similar to the blissfulness and the euphoria that you get from the Down With Disease Jam and many of the songs we've played here, you just kind of got to throw your hands up and smile and sit back and, uh, and listen to the melodies and really enjoy it. And this song is really uh, defining for me of uh, one of the things I just love about Mogwai, that they can get into this groove uh, and they can get into this really mul- just epic melodic build. Um, and the, the soaring guitar solo in this song, the, the, the riff in this song is just something that gets stuck in your head for days in the best ways possible. Um, what are your thoughts on all this, Dave? I love Mogwai. They're one of the loudest bands ever. They are one of the best bands at titling songs. Yes. And, yeah, this song in particular is extremely enjoyable. Uh, what are some other great Mogwai song titles? Uh, I'm Jim Morrison and I'm Dead. That's a great one. They have an album title from 2010, uh, or from 2011, Hardcore Will Never Die. But you will. <laughs> <laughs> yes, which I absolutely love. Um, yeah, they uh, they they draw that fine line between taking themselves too seriously and not seriously enough, and uh, it's always been something I've enjoyed from them. The fact that this album is called "The Hawk Is Howling," and yet the album art quite clearly showcases an eagle, not a hawk. <laughs> One other thing about Mogwai. Um, just in making a fish comparison. Mogwai put out an EP a few years ago called My Father, My King. Yeah. Which is, um, it's basically, it's a long, sinister riff on Avinu Malkainu, which actually translates to Our Father, Our King. And as we know, fish does Avinu Malkainu, and their version of the Jewish prayer is far more bouncy and sky-inflected than Mogwai's which is angry and sinister and shoegaze-laden, but you should listen to it because in addition to the song we're going to play now, that's also great. But it's not joyous. This one's joyous. Right. And uh, while we're on the topic of uh, Mogwai song titles, I've just pulled up a couple um, just just for your entertainment value here. Uh, Mogwai, Fear Satan. Mm. Travel is Dangerous. Uh... How to be a werewolf, and the Lord is out of control. All great song titles, and all equally great songs. <laughs> and with that, let's go ahead and listen to um, "The Sun Smells Too Loud" off of the Hawk is Howling by Mogwai. Just to recap the songs we listened to in this episode of Beyond the Pond, aside from the fish song, the first one was Celebrated Summer by Husker Du off of the New Day Rising album. Then we had Honey Bunny by Girls off of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost album. And Goodness Part 2 by The Hotelier off of the Goodness album. Revival by Deer Hunter off Halcyon Digest. Business by Tune Yards off the Who Kill record, and then finally 
Um, the Sun Smells Too Loud by Mogwai off of their album, The Hawk is Howling. Absolutely. And uh, just so you guys have a clear idea about where to find us on the interwebs, we are on Twitter at underscore beyond the pond. Uh, we're posting there frequently. Um, we are on Medium. We've got a Medium page, medium.com slash beyond the pond and every time we put out an episode we compile a playlist of songs uh, to add to our ongoing Spotify playlist you can find that at beyond the pond podcast songs and I would say at this point we've got to have upwards of 50 tracks listed there with some great fish songs as well or fish jams that we focused on and David's been pushing this in last episodes. I can't emphasize enough this enough. I did it uh, about a week or so ago, and it was really fun. Just hit shuffle on that, and you go through every one of our episodes in uh, dizzying order. Uh, great, great mix for uh, for your summer barbecues or your summer road trips or uh, camping trips or whatever you may be doing. In our publishing structure, we try to publish every other Tuesday to give you something to look forward to because Tuesdays are kind of lousy. We didn't publish this Tuesday, and I wasn't too happy about it as a result. <laughs> no, how you feel? But it's every other Tuesday. Tuesdays have no feel. I hate Tuesday, but at least favorite day of the week. Without question. But anyway, so next week, I mean, I shouldn't say next week, but the next Beyond the Pond episode, episode nine. We're going to do something a little bit different and sort of uh, talk about some of our favorite records that have come out in 2017 because we're sort of getting to the halfway point in the year, Um, especially this past Friday, June 16th, a bunch of really good contenders came out. I know the new Fleet Foxes record came out. Um, Kevin Morby, his new album came out. Um, The new Jason Isbell and the new Lord which I can tell you is everything you've been reading about it is true. The new Lord album is fucking good. Really fantastic record. I would say really the best good. record that came out on Friday. Yeah, that kind of probably is, in our opinion, the best album that came out on Friday. So at any rate, you've got that to look forward to. If you made it this far in the podcast, we thank you very much. I'm David Goldstein. I'm Brian Brinkman. And come back in two weeks and join us as we go beyond the pond.